you are now listening to the place for biblical end times truth, The Remnant Report. I am your host, The Remnant Warrior. Here, we are dedicated to equipping the remnant for the tribulation that must shortly come to pass, as well as reaching the lost at any cost. The time is near for us to not love our lives even unto death. We serve a risen living Savior, so death is not the end, and we know that we will overcome the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, because we love not It's time for you all to wake up and shift your paradigm. This world is the kingdom of darkness and we are living in its last days. It won't be long before the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth and everything therein shall be burnt up. The Luciferian elite have been setting up the new world order and now they've established the globalist beast system for the rise of that wicked one and revealing of the man of sin who comes after the workings of Satan. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible and you'll know that perilous times shall come in the last days and we are in the last days. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome to another edition of the Remnant Report. I apologize, I am having to stream this episode live from my phone today because my laptop just flat out quit on me, and I was supposed to start the stream at 1.15 and it is 2.06 so as you can see I am running pretty late but the reason for that is I don't want to bore you with all the details and tie us up any more than we've already been tied up that I just apparently I've got 24 more hours before I can live stream to our new YouTube channel but Today's episode, ooh, I hope that, okay, yeah, my mic's on, sorry. Today's episode is going to be a Bible study about whether Paul taught the same gospel as Jesus, and many of you may hear this and think that it's not important, but before you turn this off. I want to challenge you to stick in long enough to hear me out and see what I've got to say because I guarantee you that you're going to find out that not only 
is this very interesting, but you're going to find that if you don't uh, struggle with this personally or have struggled with it sometime within your Christian walk, then you definitely know somebody who does. And I also want to apologize right now just in case my dogs start barking or anything. Um, they've been quiet for over an hour while I've tried to get this stream set up. So hopefully they will continue to be quiet. And also I am using a Bible that is not the one I'm used to using. It's not my personal Bible. It's one of the ones that we uh, give out to people. So, please bear with me. Uh, we're going to get this episode started. R episode. Episode started right this second. Now, I hope all of you guys are blessed in the Lord today and that you're doing well and that you will be blessed by what you hear in this episode. We're going to be talking about, like I said, whether the gospel that Paul taught about salvation is the same thing that Jesus taught. And I think it may be a little easier if I just pull my Bible up on my other phone. So if it's not going to take long, then I am going to try and do that. Here we go. Now, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching about salvation, and then we're going to compare it to Paul's teaching about salvation. And like I said in the beginning, I, I want to teach about this today because Sometimes one of the things that confuse disciples, especially new disciples, are issues like uh, the law versus grace or um, work salvation versus faith alone. And all of these things, there, there are more examples almost exactly like that and they all come from Paul and Jesus and this truly comes about from a misunderstanding and confusion that comes from Paul's writings because a lot of people don't understand what Paul was trying to say because he uses a little bit different language and 
he uses a little bit of a different context and Jesus on the other hand you know he he didn't do that and he explained things directly to his apostles and because of this many times people are confused and they think that okay Paul is teaching one thing and okay it sounds so very contrary to what Jesus was teaching concerning salvation so what we're gonna do today is try to get to the bottom of if Paul and Jesus were teaching different methods of salvation different Gospels or if they were actually teaching the same thing and if we can make it easier to understand not just for you guys but for anyone who you may be discipling and we don't we want to try to stop any errors from coming in early on in someone's christian walk but but if we can't even if it you know even if somebody's been a christian for 10 years it's never i repeat it is never too late to humble yourself and allow sound doctrine and what the bible says to take the place of what you've been taught or what you believe or what you've always believed you know this is important and there is not a more important subject than the gospel there's not a more important subject than salvation and I was just commenting on a Facebook post today I rarely get on Facebook but when I do um, the Lord always uses it to speak to me and I was just commenting today on a Facebook post about um, people rejecting Paul as a false apostle and this this contrast that people see between Paul and Jesus it leads to some saying look Paul is talking about the gospel of grace but Jesus is uh, talking about the gospel of the kingdom and because of that they will say that you know there's obviously different dispensations there and it leads to the doctrine of dispensationalism and others will say well Paul taught one thing Jesus taught another and so there they will go all the way to the opposite extreme of calling Paul a false apostle and literally wanting to do away with Paul and everything that he wrote and they will deny 
Paul and his writings, and they'll only follow the the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus, as well as uh, a few other uh, epistles that were written by other apostles. However, we're going to see today that both cases are wrong, and there's no need for either one. I'm trying to get this mic right so that you guys can hear me. I'm more worried about you hearing me than seeing me, and since I'm on my phone, I I don't know how good the quality, the sound quality is going to be um, with this studio mic hooked up to my phone. So anyway, that's why I was moving it. But we're going to look in our Bibles and see that Peter, James, John, Paul, and Jesus all taught the same method of salvation. They all taught the same gospel. The only difference is Paul... As Peter said, the way that he wrote, he was hard to understand for some. And he was sometimes, the way he wrote, it was difficult for even, um, you know, some of the learned people, you know, like disciples of the apostles and maybe even some of the apostles. It was hard for them to, you know, understand what he was saying. The only people I think that truly knew exactly what Paul was saying without being confused at all were the people in the churches that Paul was teaching directly. And, you know, I don't want anybody to go to any of these degrees. I don't want them to divide the teachings of Paul and Jesus you know, like dispensationalism. I don't want anybody to throw Paul out as a false apostle and, you know, believe that his writings are not for Christians. I want people to have sound doctrine. And, you know, Paul is somebody who, although he's sometimes easy to misunderstand we have to we have to realize that he wrote the majority of the new testament so without paul and the writings of paul then us as christians you know we have no guide we have no bible for the most part we have the old testament but our you know theology and our belief system for Christianity doesn't come from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of types and shadows. The New Testament is where Christians get our, you know, our theology and our doctrines. And so it is very important for us to have a correct understanding of all of the New Testament and that most certainly includes Paul. So, you know, 
I don't want you to go back and misinterpret what Jesus taught and you know think that Paul is is teaching a version of Christianity that is completely different from what Jesus taught that you know a, a lot of times people will read Paul and then they'll go back and read Jesus and they will think that a lot of the things that Jesus wrote were hypothetical like the Sermon on the Mount they will say that of course we could never uh, live up to the Sermon on the Mount so it must be hypothetical and you know it, it, they'll they'll say that you know we're all sinners and we must come to Christ but they'll do so with a false understanding of what it means to come to Christ and what the gospel is and then they'll go to Paul's teaching and they'll further misunderstand Jesus and they'll misunderstand Paul and they will just be completely screwed up and you have some unfortunately that take it to the ultimate extreme and these are the the people who deny Paul the most and that's the people who see a difference in Paul and Jesus's teachings and so they end up in the Hebrew roots movement and you know I didn't end up there because of any difference I saw between Paul and Jesus but I you know I, I praise God came out of the Hebrew roots movement and so I know how dangerous it is but the people in the Hebrew Roots movement, they misunderstand the context of Jesus and they misunderstand Paul and they believe that Jesus, uh, they'll, they'll see where it says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so they'll say that that means that he came teaching the law. And then they'll, they'll look at Paul and they'll reinterpret everything that Paul said, and they'll say, see, Paul was also teaching the law. And he was teaching us that we must obey the law of Moses when that is the opposite of what Paul or Jesus was teaching. And the way that they do this is they focus in on the passages that talk about uh, when Paul says that we must obey and have obedience to Christ and they'll focus in on those passages and they'll say see Paul's saying that we must obey the law of Moses and the Torah so I hope as we compare these two men well only one of them was a man the apostle paul and our lord jesus christ i hope as we compare their teachings that you'll be able to see that they both taught the very same thing and 
Jesus teaching on salvation and Paul's teaching on salvation if we are able to see exactly what they both are and how they are the same then it will avoid it will help us avoid all of these errors and it'll also enable us to help others avoid all of these errors as well so what we're what we're going to do is we're going to uh, try to come to an understanding. Well, we are going to come to an understanding to where we're able to understand the words that Paul was using and the way that he was using them. And the terminology that both Paul and Jesus was using because they, they used different terminology and if we can understand the terminology and the words then we'll be able to understand the teachings now today we're going to focus mostly and for the majority of the time on two passages of scripture and one of them is one of my favorite in the entire New Testament, especially the Gospels. And I know it's also Brother Matthew Marcel, um, my co-host on Return of the Historic Faith. It's one of his favorite passages as well. And that is in the book of John. Uh, we're going to be looking at John 14 and 15 and we're also going to be looking in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. So we're not going to, you know, overdo it looking at, uh, you know, too much scripture to where people get overwhelmed. But we are going to focus in on the passages that will show us for sure that Paul and Jesus were teaching the very same gospel now I believe wholeheartedly that when this study is over when this episode is over this Bible study that we will all be able to understand exactly what was being taught by both Paul and Jesus and will be blessed for it I truly do and we're going to flip over. I'm going to be in my on my phone here because if I try to flip with this Bible, it's just going to make too much noise. So I'm going to use my phone here. But we're going to flip over to John chapter 15. And we're going to see where Jesus taught about the parable of the vine and, and the branches and how we have to abide in the vine as the branches now as we consider this we need to understand that Jesus is trying to tell us that salvation is is not something that is transactional it's not something that is happens with a transaction we don't Make a transaction for our salvation. 
It's something that is relational. It's not a one-time transaction, but rather it is an ongoing relational uh, experience. It's, it begins whenever we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ and as we'll see in John chapter 15 uh, starting in verse 3 Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and in this parable we're going to see that we must abide in the vine if we get cut off from the vine then we will not get the nutrients that we need to survive, to live, to thrive. And therefore, we'll wither and die and be cut off, like literally chopped off of the vine and thrown into the fire. So we are going to look here starting in verse 3. And Jesus says in verse 3, The word that I have spoken to you, in other words, before we come to Christ, we are separated from God. We're alienated and enemies of God. But when we repent of our sins and we humble ourselves and ha truly have a penitent heart, then we're able to be reconciled to God the Father by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and having a relationship with our Creator, which is what we were made for. We were made to have a relationship with our Creator. But as you all are aware, sin crept in. It entered into this world, this life, and because of the sin that entered in, we were separated from our Creator. And we've been separated from Him ever since, until Jesus Christ came and made a way for us to be reconciled with God the Father. And that is exactly what the parable of the vine and the branches is saying through our faith and obedience we are able to be connected to the vine and if we abide in the vine through love and faith and obedience then Jesus Christ the vine will also abide in us hold on one second i apologize i hear my dogs out there well hopefully that stopped them i got the little remote control but once we 
come to a saving relationship and knowledge of Jesus Christ by abiding in him as the vine, if we continue to abide in the vine who is Jesus Christ, then he will also abide in us. And instead of it being a a event or a transactional thing, it instead is a relational event. It's all about a relationship. It's not about a transaction. It doesn't matter if it's a works-based transaction or a faith-based transaction. It's not about a transaction at all whatsoever. It's about a relationship. That is what God wanted with mankind from the beginning. That's why he created us to be able to have a relationship with us, to be able to spend time with us, to be able to commune with his creation. The jealousy of the enemy made him, well, I don't want to say made, but it uh, led the enemy to tempt Eve with the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, of course, she ate from the tree and also gave the fruit to Adam to eat. And by their eating the fruit, sin crept into this world. And the relationship, the fellowship that God had with his creation was destroyed. Now, this is the love of God. If you don't get anything else out of what I am showing you today from the scriptures, I want you to get this. If you do not hear anything else I say, please hear this. The Bible tells us that God knew us before the foundation of the world. That before we were in our mother's womb, God knew us. That means that before he ever created this earth, before he ever created Adam and Eve, he knew that Adam and Eve were both going to sin, that they were going to fall, and that he would be separated from his creation. And yet, he created us anyway. Now, I don't even almost want to pretend to know the mind and the heart of God but one thing that I do know is that it takes a love like no other to know that you are going to suffer 
heartbreak like we cannot even imagine. And trust me, friends, when we sin as God's children, it's it's one thing for the children of the world to sin. That's bad enough, and God hates it. But when we, as the blood-bought children of God, when we sin, it hurts God like you can't imagine. And I can't explain. I can't even begin to explain it. So I'm not going to try. All I can do is tell you that as someone... As a father who lost a son, I can only compare the hurt that God feels to the worst hurt that I have ever felt, which was losing my son. And I know that as bad as that was, it still does not even begin to compare to the amount of pain that God feels not from losing his son or from uh, being rejected as the son. I don't even pretend to understand all of how the Trinity works, but as God the son, the pain of being rejected, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the pain that God the Father and the Son feel every time that we as the children of God and the body of Messiah knowingly and unknowingly, but especially knowingly, commit sin. It is... A pain that, like I said, even the worst pain that I can imagine, which was the loss of my son, does not begin to compare to it. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that, um, I think it's the book of Hebrews, where it says that we put the Lord to an open shame. But I know it's the book of Hebrews that says that we crucify him all over again. And I know that I was forgiven for so much that I cannot imagine crucifying the one who died for me all over again. I was already responsible for his crucifixion the first time. I don't want to even play a part in him having to feel that again. And that's what the Bible says happens when we, as the children of God, willingly sin. So keep that in mind the next time you go to tell a lie or steal something or look at pornography or whatever the case may be, whatever sin that 
you struggle with and we all have sin that we struggle with from time to time whatever your sin that you struggle with is the next time the enemy comes in and tempts you with his beguiling subtlety as scripture says the next time resist the devil and he will flee from you just as scripture says because if you don't resist him and you give in and sin just remember that you are literally literally putting Christ who loved you enough to die for you while you were not only a sinner but while you were his enemy, he loved you enough to die for you. And every time you willingly sin, you're putting him to an open shame and crucifying him all over again. You don't want to hurt your Savior at all, but you especially do not want to hurt him like that. Sorry that I kind of got off on a tangent about sin, but I felt very, very, I felt very, very strongly about making the point to let everyone know just how serious sin is and how much it affects God. You know, it affects us as human beings because sin, the wages of sin is death. But think about losing a child. And that is exactly what happens to God every time sin causes one of his children to die. Now, I'm not... I'm not preaching any kind of heretical nonsense like we are little gods or we are on the same level as Christ or any kind of gnarly nonsense. But the Bible does tell us flat out that those of us who have been born again have been adopted into the family of God and we now have the right to call Jesus's father our father we can now cry out Abba father I honestly honestly I, I'm not just saying this I have chills right this second thinking about it I've been sweating for quite a while because I had to cut the air conditioner off so it wouldn't come through on the the mic. But <laughs> I tell you what, sweat or no, I've got chills on my arms and the back of my neck just thinking about how much God loves us. Peter says in can't remember if it's first or second Peter right now, so forgive me. But Peter tells us that God's not slack when it comes to his promises, but that 
every day to God is like a thousand years. And that the reason he is uh, not, that Jesus has not returned yet is because he is long-suffering. And because he, he does not want even one soul to perish. Now, of course, there will be many, and there already has been many who have died in their sins. But God does not want that. God does not want even one to perish. And that is why he has been long-suffering. And, you know, as ready as I am to see the one who died for me, I would have to be very selfish not to hope that we as the body of Christ are actually able to share the gospel, the same gospel that both Paul and Jesus taught together, and I'm about to get back into the lesson, but for us to share the gospel and be able to hold back the wrath of God for as long as possible so that more and more would not have to suffer his wrath but would come in and join us as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is honestly what we should all hope for and be striving for and the only way to do that is by the great commission sharing the gospel and i'm going to i'm going to get off my soapbox and i'm going to go back into the text now and we're going to we're going to look and see what jesus taught compared to what Paul taught as far as the gospel goes and salvation goes. Um, remember, we're in the book of John, chapter 15. And again, in the parable of the vine, Jesus is letting us know that in, in this parable, Jesus is flat out letting us know that we are in a covenant relationship with him. And first we were enemies with God. But now through our covenant relationship with God, through his son that came and was the only perfect sacrifice that died on the cross for our sins, we are able to believe his word, receive his word, and trust in his word. And when we believe his word, receive his word, and trust in his word, then we will also obey his word. And when we are doing all of those things, when we are walking with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, in a obedient love faith relationship 
when that is where we are at, then we are truly, truly walking out our salvation. We're living it. We're not just preaching it. We're not just talking it, but we are living it. And the only way for us to be able to follow through with that obedient love-faith relationship is by being in the Word, reading the Word of God, hiding it in our hearts, praying to our Heavenly Father, and obeying the commandments of Jesus Christ. See, that's the sad thing about the Hebrew Roots Movement is they don't understand that in the New Covenant, we do have commandments. We have a law that we must obey. The law of Christ. The commandments of Christ. Not the law of Moses or the commandments of Moses, but the law of Christ and the commandments of Christ. And the next that we have to do is abide in Christ. Our relationship continues with us abiding in Christ. Remember, He is the vine, we are the branches. And if we abide in Him, then He will also abide in us. Now, Christ is our salvation and he's our life so it's not just a one-time transactional um, event salvation that is it's it's not transactional in any way shape or form but instead it's relational it's a relationship and we we're we're reconciled with the father but it's not just that we're reconciled with the father we also have a relationship with the father through Jesus Christ the son who is the vine and we are his branches and as his branches we're able to have a relationship with him and we're able to have a relationship with our heavenly Father. Now, if one of the branches, no matter who it is, it could be me, if that branch is separated from the vine, even one time, now I don't mean one sin, but if the branch is separated from the vine, even one time, then it's going to not receive its nutrients. It's going to not receive the water it needs. And it's going to dry up and die. And when it dries up and dies, you've seen branches on trees. You've seen branches on grapevines. When they dry up and die, they fall off. And Jesus in this parable compares these branches that dry up and fall off to 
Christians who were on the vine, they were in Jesus Christ, but they were separated from the vine. They were separated from Christ. And because of that separation, they withered and died. And Jesus says that they're cast into the fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we must abide in the vine. It says in verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. And so we do not have life at all apart from Jesus Christ. Not at all. Apart from the vine, who is where we get our life from, we have no life without the relationship with Christ where we get our needed nutrients and our water and all of the things that we need to live, then we have no life. So, the Bible... Please, Please, please remember that it's not worth taking the risk. Whether you have always been taught once saved, always saved, or you haven't, but it's what you've come to believe. Trust me, it is not worth taking the risk. The scriptures are too many and too plain that we can certainly be cut off from the vine and I don't want to see just like I do not want to see one soul not accept Christ and go to hell I do not want to see even one of my brothers and sisters fall away and get cut off from the vine of Jesus Christ and lose their spiritual life and die and go to a devil's hell. It, it really and truly hurts my heart to even think about it. So please listen to what I'm saying. Please. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. But only those of us who are in Jesus Christ have eternal life. Those who are not in Christ, they do not have eternal life. And you cannot be in Jesus Christ and live a life of willful sin. It's impossible. We were created by a holy God who hates sin. And even though, like I said in the beginning, even though he knew that sin was going to enter into this world, and he created it anyway, and he created all of us anyway, even though he knew that sin was going to enter in and all of the things that happened afterwards were going to happen, he loved us enough that he created us anyway. And he didn't just create us, but he made a way out. 
the Bible tells us that he made a way out. He knew the end from the beginning. So before he ever created the world from the foundation of the world, he not only knew and created this world and all the life in and on it, but he knew that he was going to have to provide a way back to him. And he loved us enough to do it. That is love, friends. That is love that not one of us can understand. The closest thing that I can imagine to the love of God is the love that a mother has for her child. And as a father, I know I love my children, but I know that as much as I love my children, I, I can't come close to loving them as much as their mother does. And it's the same with us as human beings and God. As much as mothers love their children, it is only a fraction of what the Holy Creator, God Almighty, the fraction of the love that He has for us. Now, again, we, we must continue to abide in Jesus Christ. We must continue to walk with Him. And by doing this, we continue to experience the life that is in him. Now, next is living obedience to his commands by the power of his spirit. And being able to come to his throne of grace whenever we do fall short. Because... There is a very big difference in willful sin and us falling short. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that includes those of us who are connected to the vine. You know, when, when we sin one time or ten times, that does not disconnect us from the vine. Only... God the Father, or God, period, knows when we have become reprobate and are no longer connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. But if we look back at the text and we look at verse 9, it says, as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Remain and abide in Jesus Christ. It says that we are to remain and abide in Jesus Christ, walking in love and faith, a love-faith relationship with our Savior. If you keep my Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments. 
and remained in his love. So this faith that we abide in Jesus Christ by is an obedient faith. I mean, there's really no argument around, you know, to argue against what Jesus says here. He literally tells us that he's talking about salvation. That is clear. That the same way that he was obedient to his father and had to abide in his father's commandments, we must also be obedient to his commandments and abide in him. Friends, I'm sorry if you were raised to believe something different. I'm sorry if you have always believed that it's impossible to lose your salvation. The truth is, it's not my job to win you over. It's my job to tell you the truth. It's my job to show you what the Word of God says, and then it's on you what you do with the Word of God. It's on you whether you believe the Word of God or you want to argue with God because you have not once heard and you will not hear me give you my opinion I haven't said well this means that and that means this no I've simply read you the text and I've told you the very simple meaning of it that's what it means to have a childlike faith and as we go on I think you will see that the reason that Jesus says that we must enter the kingdom like children, like little children, and that we must have a childlike faith is so that we can truly be able to humble ourselves to be able to accept the truth of the word of God without our pride getting in the way. Now, I want you guys to know that I have been reading the comments as they've come in, but I've been trying my best to get through all of this because I've still got a little bit. I'm not even going to tell you how much because I don't want anybody to turn this off, but I've still got some left to go, and I want to get through as much as possible before this study's over. But I want you to know that I have seen your comments and um, whether I do it at the end of this episode or I have a special episode that's just for um, questions and answers, I promise I will get to them. Now, I want you to know that I am, and Jeremy, I'm talking to you, brother, I Trust me, I have all intention of touching on the eternal security part of it because 
believe it or not, we do have eternal security in Christ Jesus. We can be eternally secure. We can be secure in our eternity. It's just not the... the <laughs> there's no... There's no gentle way to put this, so I'm just going to call it like it is. It's just not the same as the Gnostic lie that has been told since the time of the Reformation and actually <laughs> since way before from the time of Augustine. And that eternal security, I'm going to say this really quick so I can get back to the text. But the way that we have eternal security is by doing everything that we've been talking about. If we abide in the vine that is Jesus Christ, and we abide in his love, then he will abide in us. If we endure until the end, always abiding in him, walking with him in a love, faith, an obedient relationship, then friends, our eternity is secure. But it's not, as I said over and over today, a transaction of any kind. It's not a one-and-done transactional uh, type thing. And it's not a long-term transaction to where we keep paying a little bit of a time a little bit at a time until we finally have paid for salvation no that's not the way it works we must abide in the vine that is Jesus Christ we must obey his commandments by obeying his commandments and abiding in his love then we have security for all eternity and if you want to know what a picture of eternal security looks like then go to revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 in revelation chapter 2 you'll see a letter that jesus wrote to the bishop of the church of smyrna that is absolute Proof and a perfect example of eternal security. Now, if you go one chapter over to chapter 3, you'll see the letter that Jesus wrote to the bishop of the church of Philadelphia. And that is another picture of eternal security. In both places, both places, you have security but it's not something that comes from belief see the difference and the problem comes in with the first the difference between the first century definition of of faith and the 21st century definition of faith the first century definition of faith automatically implied and required action 
faith was an action word. Faith was never something that you believed in your mind, ever. Faith was a, um, an action word that required you to do something. See, we have been taught that, first of all, grace, the definition of grace, is um, unmerited favor, which is not correct. And we've been taught that faith is simply the substance of things hoped for. Hold on a second. The yeah, substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And that is true. That's scripture. However, it's more than that. It's also the obedience and relationship that that faith brings. If a perfect example, and I give this example, I apologize for my dogs out there. I can hear them fighting. <laughs> um, I give this example preaching quite often. A perfect example of faith is when my son, my youngest son Connor, when he was little, he would get on one end of our couch or the bed and he would take off running as fast as he could and he would jump, I mean jump, head on. Sometimes I wouldn't even be looking. I, I wouldn't know it was coming, but he would jump right into my arms. And there was not a doubt in his mind that daddy was going to catch him. That's faith. We claim to have faith. But if we are not willing to jump blindly off the cliff or the bed or the whatever into the arms of Christ and have that relationship that is so strong that we are willing to lay our lives down for our faith and for that relationship the way that the first and second century church did, then what we have is not faith. We have a belief in the mind. And friends, believing in our minds that Jesus is real and even that he is the son of God and died on the cross and rose again believing those things in your mind is not enough to save you that's not enough to to be on the vine and it's definitely not enough to stay on the vine if it was then there would be no demons the Bible's very, very clear. Even the demons believe and tremble. They, they, there is, honestly, there's a saying that there, and I've heard this many times, and that is that there's no atheist in a foxhole. 
But the truth is, there's no atheist, period. Everybody believes in some sort of God. You may not believe in the God of the Bible, but you believe in something as your God. It could be science. It could be your drug of choice. But I promise you, you aren't an atheist, no matter how much you want to tell yourself you are. And, you know, I've got a brother who I love very dearly, but if he died today, he'd be on his way to hell. And he's not my blood brother. He's just a very close friend that I've always called my brother. And he thinks he's going to heaven just because he believes there is a God. And just because he believes in Jesus. He believes Jesus is real and the Son of God. And he thinks he's a good person and he can't see God sending him to hell. Well, I've tried to explain to him and others like him time and time again that that's not the way it works. And I've taken the Bible and I've explained it out in detail. But it's like it goes in one ear and out the other. And it's through him and people like him that I've been able to see the strong delusion that the Bible talks about. And also how nobody can just get saved whenever they want to. People think that there's always going to be time and that they're always going to be able to make the decision to get saved. But the truth is, if the Holy Spirit is not calling you to salvation, it doesn't matter how many times He's called you in the past. You can't get saved on your own. I wish that it wasn't that way because I wouldn't have so many friends and family that are on their way to hell. But that is the way it is. But I want to go back to the text. And I'm sorry for the soapbox that I keep getting on. But I, I do think that even with the soapboxing that we've, we've talked about some really, really good things today. And I think we've covered a lot of good subjects. And a lot of good um, aspects of salvation. I know that I have got to. I'm sorry. I know that was loud in this microphone I have got to get a new chair um, for those of you who are not aware Kingdom Productions Network has um, a my mind just went blank we have a monthly subscription uh, on our Spotify network now that is it's only $2.99 a month so it's $3 a month it's less than what you would pay for a Whopper or less than what you would pay for a latte at Starbucks. And if you take that $3 a month and you put it towards supporting this ministry, then... I'm not going to tell you that 
God's going to give you a million dollars or any some any such nonsense. But I will promise you this. God loves a cheerful giver. And although the 10% tithe is not a part of New Testament, um, the, the New Covenant of salvation, we are all supposed to give. And if you have a local... Um, church assembly that you go to you should be giving at least 10% if not more but if you don't have a local assembly that you go to but you do have somewhere that you are hearing the word of God listening to Bible studies like this one or you are a part of a family like the Kingdom Productions family or the Frequency family, it does not make up for an in-person, uh, an in-person fellowship and local brothers and sisters that you can pray with, read the Bible with, and form a uh, relationship with but if you don't have that and you are using a ministry like this one or any other one to be able to study the word of God and hear the Bible preached then you should be supporting that ministry. I'm not saying that to tell you that you should be giving to this ministry because that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that whether it's your church, your home church that you're going to, or it's a missionary, you know, overseas or here in the States, you should be giving in some way, shape, or form, even if it's not monetarily, even if it's giving of your time to preach the gospel and to make disciples. You should be giving what God has blessed you with. You should take what the Lord has blessed you with and bless others. Because... That is what we're supposed to do. You know, we created the, the subscription network for two reasons. The first reason is <laughs> me sitting in this chair hurting so bad right now. Um, we are in desperate need of equipment right this second i am uh, live streaming to you guys and after i'm done live live streaming i'm going to have to take the audio and turn the audio into a podcast from my phone because my laptop has completely quit working and 
we have like this chair that I'm in. It has that. It has absolutely no um, cushions on the arms, and the cushion uh, in the seat part is almost non-existent as well. And after sitting in it for an hour and fourteen minutes, my behind is killing me. So we started the subscription network to uh, help us offset the, because everything that we do at Kingdom Productions Network comes out of our pockets, except for the very small amount of ad revenue that we bring in, which is like $14 a month. Well, maybe $14 every two weeks, but it's not much. Anyways, because of that, we started the subscription uh, service, and we honestly have hundreds and hundreds of episodes, both audio and um, video, that are exclusively for the network and you know I think everybody can afford $2.99 a month but if you can't I completely understand but if you can and you do give to the network and you become a monthly subscriber you will be helping Bible studies like this one and other Bible studies and documentaries and audiobooks and all kinds of content go out to the over 70 countries that uh, we share the gospel in right now. And that's important. Sorry, I lost you for a second. But 74 countries right now we have listening and watching our videos and podcast episodes and Bible studies. And every bit of the content that we produce, we pay for. And, you know, we don't mind doing that. But it would be a tremendous help for any of you who are able to become monthly subscribers and I can promise you that the first 10 and we've already got some of them but the first 10 monthly subscribers will be getting something extraordinary <laughs> And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to spoil the surprise because it was very, very fulfilling today whenever I was messaging back and forth with the first subscriber that we got. And I was letting her know all of the things that she was going to get on top of the... Um, subscription content 
and it was just a an honest to God blessing. So if you can if you can help us by becoming a monthly subscriber for three dollars a month, then awesome. If you can't, guess what? We'll still love you anyways. And with that, we are going to get back to the lesson. Uh, our salvation, the covenant that we have right now with Jesus is a covenant just like the Old Testament Israelites had with God and Jesus was, you know, there as well. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you are seeing Jesus Christ. And so the same way that there was conditions and things that the Israel of God in the Old Testament and the covenant of the Old Covenant had to do, we in the New Covenant and we in the Israel of God have things that we are also required to do in the New Covenant. And, I mean, those things have not gone away. They are still here. Um, our faith, our, 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 our clinging to, our trusting in Jesus Christ is, is something that, that causes us to obey him. I mean, we believe in him of course we believe that he is exactly who the bible says he is but it is our faith and trust that we have in him that causes us to obey him and we submit to him as lord we trust him as lord and that does not mean that we are going to be perfect or walk with him in perfection. But it does mean that when we fall down, that we're able to run back to Jesus Christ, and we're able to ask forgiveness and cry out to God the Father. And we have an advocate with God the Father in Jesus Christ the Son. So... You know, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it does mean that we will strive to be. We will strive for perfection. And, you know, we have, we have the throne of grace. He is there. His mercies are new every morning. But he also does not treat us as our sins deserve. For us to be treated. He welcomes us in mercy. He pities us. And he is. Jesus does the, the same thing with us. In this covenant relationship that we have with Jesus. Jesus is the same way with us. That the father is with him. Just as we read earlier. And you know. The Father pities us. He loves us. He has mercy upon us. 
and it is because of that that we are able to sin and repent of that sin and be forgiven when we repent. That is the love of God. That is grace. That is what grace is about. And I don't want anybody to have this this wrong impression that if you mess up one time or ten times that you're kicked out of the kingdom of God and you're you know cut off the vine and you know you're you're out because that's not the way it works um, it's, it's not like that it's not like you're out until you get your act together and then you can come back in no when we fall down we get back up and we turn to the Lord and he receives us but we walk in this fellowship with the Lord even though we don't have a perfect fellowship and we don't have a perfect sinless life yet here in our flesh we strive to be sinless and we strive for perfection and we have fellowship with the Lord even though we are not perfectly obedient and we do all this all the while while we are not uh, you know we're not in any way shape or form perfect but he chastens us and he forgives us and he allows us to come back home you know he it's it's just like the the parable jesus gave of the prodigal son and our god our father loves us so much that when we fall down, when we sin, we are able to repent of that sin and come back to God. We are able to approach the throne of grace because we have an advocate with the Father through Jesus the Son. That is how much God loves us. And we will continue to be able to approach the throne of grace until the day comes when we inherit eternal life. And that day is coming. When he returns and we get our glorified bodies, that is the day when we will all understand 100% completely everything that we don't understand now. That is when we will have all of our questions answered. That is when all of our tears will be wiped away. And 
it's not going to last for a thousand years either. It's going to last for eternity. Now, am I denying the millennium? No, I'm not denying the millennium. I'm saying that it's not just for the millennium. It's for all eternity. So keep that in mind. You know, when our Lord splits that eastern sky, and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, we will see him just as he was when he went up into heaven. And all of those on this earth, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But we who are his covenant body, his covenant bride, the children of our Father, we will all go and meet him in the air. When he comes, we will not be stuck with our feet on the ground. No, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we that remain and are alive will be called up together to meet him in the air. And what does the Bible say after that? And there we will remain forever. Not for a thousand years, forever. We will remain with him always. So, Jesus says... In verse 2, that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. But every branch that does not produce fruit, we've covered what happens to those branches pretty much every way that we can. Um, but as we walk in this relationship with God and bear fruit, as branches we will be pruned so that we can bear more fruit. Um, even though we're walking in faith and trusting in Jesus, we're obeying him, we're not doing it perfectly, so sometimes we fall, but even though we're not doing it perfectly and we're falling sometimes, we're still doing it. But regardless, we have God there, the Father, who disciplines, he prunes us so that we will produce more fruit and so that we will grow as Christians and grow in covenant relationship with him and with our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Now, we have to be disciplined in order to grow. Um, if you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
if you do not discipline your children, then not only do they not grow, um, you know, mentally, emotionally, and uh, spiritually, they they do not become if they're boys and you're a man like I am, then they do not become the men that they are supposed to become. They don't become the, the men of God they're supposed to become if you do not chasten them. And that is exactly how it is with God the Father and us as his spiritual children. When... Jesus talks about him pruning us so that we will produce more fruit. That is the equivalent of being disciplined so that we will grow into the Christians that we are supposed to be. Growing in holiness and the character of God is... The entire reason for that. And that is why it says, um, you know, do not conform to the image of this world. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That is why it, it, it tells us that. Because if, if we allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, instead of becoming transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, as our char- it, it, the, the whole reason for it is so that our character can be transformed. Because when our character is transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ, then uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that says, um, from glory to glory um, into the image of the Lord is what we are being transformed into. God is trying to transform us into the image of his son. And guys, hold on one second. Um, Please don't go anywhere. I will be right back. I promise. I am so sorry. I'm sure I probably lost a lot of you, but um, 
my wife was knocking on the door and I had to jump up and go answer it really quick. I was hoping the dogs weren't going to go crazy barking and everything and I hope I wasn't gone too long. The enemy is trying his level best to come in between you guys being able to hear what's being taught and me sharing the truth with you in the word of God. That's, you know, that's all there is to it. There's honestly no other way around it. Um, to sum up what we read, salvation is not a one-time transaction. It is an ongoing covenant uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. It begins whenever we repent of our sins and come onto the vine of Jesus Christ by grace through faith and the way that we show that we have that faith is through baptism. We are born again through baptism for the remission of sins. And after we are born again, we must then continue to abide in Jesus Christ through, you know, because he's the vine. We must, as branches, abide in a covenant relationship that is a love, faith, and obedient relationship with the vine as a branch because we're all branches in or own the true vine that is Jesus Christ. And we cling to Christ who is our salvation, our life, our light. We must live in obedience to his commands and we come to his throne of grace anytime that we sin and fall short and all the while we trust in him to discipline us and also feed us and prune us by his faithful grace and if we continue to do this and endure and abide in Him all of our lives, then we will inherit eternal life. That is eternal security. We have security when and only if we continue to abide in Jesus Christ until the end. Now, that's what Jesus taught. We saw that it took an hour and 38 minutes, but we saw that's what Jesus teaches by looking at John chapter 15. Now, we 
know that we're reconciled with God through faith that worked through love in Jesus Christ and we continue to abide in him and by faithfulness he will lead us all the way to the end that's what Jesus taught that's a summary of what Jesus teaches about salvation it's not a one-time transaction it's an ongoing relationship so that's the summary of Jesus now the big question as we turn to Galatians chapter 5 I hope that we can do all of this in one episode because of the, the different times we've had to stop but we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and the big question is does Paul has have the same concept does he have the same understanding of salvation that Jesus had and that Jesus taught is it also an ongoing covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ or is is it a one-time transaction that as long as we believe the facts that Jesus died for us, rose again, and from then on we have eternal life no matter what. Whether we walk with Jesus or turn away from Jesus, on the last day we're going to be raised up and have eternal life. Is that what Paul taught? Or... Did Paul teach the very same things that we went through already that Jesus taught? Now, everything that I have just said to you is exactly what comes to the minds of most people when we talk about or you ask them about what Paul teaches about salvation you know, regarding salvation. And it's sad that that's what comes to their minds and that's what they believe, but unfortunately, the devil has done his job in America very, very well. And that is what people believe and that's what they've been taught and that's what they teach and it is a cycle of death. So, it's simply a lack of understanding that my hope today is that we're going to break this cycle of death that comes from nothing more than a lack of understanding. The context of what Paul is dealing with in his letters is what we're going to go ahead and, and look at now. And I think you're going to see that the context that Paul gives is the very same context that Jesus gave. In Paul's letters, he was dealing with Judaizers who were telling Gentiles that in order for them to be part of the new covenant 
they had to keep the commands of the old covenant. So there's there's something when we ask in Paul's letters, uh, well, where's something that's different in his letters than maybe Peter or James, John, or Jesus? One important thing that we must realize is that primarily Paul was writing to Gentile congregations. Now, if you believe that Paul was the author of Hebrews, then you believe that in that instance he was writing to Jews. But the rest of his letters were written to congregations that were almost entirely made up of Gentiles. They were not from a Jewish background. Whereas Peter, James, and even John for Revelation at least, um, when, when, when he wrote his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he was writing to a mixed audience. And even the book of Revelation was a mixed audience, but I'm not really, I'm not really certain about the gospel of John, but I am certain about the epistles of the other apostles. They were, for the most part, writing to a Jewish audience, as to where Paul's epistles were written to a primarily Gentile. So we need to keep this in mind right off the bat. Now, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, those are definitely to Jews. And Jesus' teaching when he was walking, he was primarily dealing with Jews. He also went and taught some Samaritans, but he dealt with some, you know, centurion soldiers. So it wasn't only with Jews, but primarily it was with Jews. And the same thing goes for Paul in his letters. He was writing primarily to Gentiles. So when you know this, you should expect at least some differences in the way Paul is explaining things compared to the way Jesus, James, Peter, and Jude would be explaining things. Because what, what they did they were explainers of the gospel. If you look at the four gospels, what those are is a manifestation or a, de 
a declaration of what the gospel is. But it's the incarnation, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. His promise to return again. That is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when we turn to the epistles, now it's talking to believers and telling us how to apply the gospel to our lives. Because the gospel is something that took place when Jesus walked on this earth. His death, burial, and resurrection is something that took place in history. But they have a saving significance to those of us who are joined to him through faith. So, now when the apostles are writing to congregations, they are, they are writing about different aspects of the Gospels that will make sense and reach the lives of the believers in a way that will help them in their Christian walk. So, in the issue with Paul, especially in Galatians, partially in Romans, Philippians, Colossians, um, many of his letters, they were always written directly with the Judaizers in mind. They were always written to some extent against the Judaizers. There are obviously some cases that are a lot more to that extent than the others, but in almost every case, he's writing in um, combatant combatants of the Judaizers. So he was writing to Gentiles, uh, dealing with a certain era that was coming into the church, and the error was that there was many. Jewish believers who believed in Jesus, but they were coming around and telling the disciples that they must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And we see in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 2 through 4, Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify to you again, anyone who is circumcised is obligated to keep the whole law. You have been cut off from Christ, whoever you are. You are justified by law. You have fallen from grace. So he's dealing with men who is saying that you must keep the 
old covenant law to walk in the new covenant. And he's telling them, these, these Gentile believers, not to listen to this. Now, if we go back to Acts 15 and look at the Jerusalem Council, then we'll see confirmation of this. In Acts 15, um, in verse 1, give me a second. Sorry, even using the Bible on the phone takes me a second to find it. But in Acts 15, starting in verse 1, it was in Antioch, and these believers were coming to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were teaching, and, and it says, Some men came down from Judah, Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, and in the tradition of Moses, you cannot be saved. So, what were they telling them? Were they telling them, uh, unless you are circumcised, you can't become a believer in Jesus? No, that's not what they were saying. Because we see it explained what, what it meant. They, they, they were, we see later in the passage that when they were saying that unless you are circumcised in the tradition of Moses, it's explained further down in the passage. And in verse 5, it says, Then some of the believers in the sect of the Pharisees rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So in the mind of the Jewish believers, the, the promise of the new covenant was, was given to Israel because of Jeremiah 31. It says the house of Israel and Judah is where the promise of the new covenant was made. And so these Jewish believers were saying, wait a second, that means in order for Gentiles to partake of the new covenant, then they must keep the law of the old covenant. They must become Jews, be circumcised, and keep the law of Moses. And that's what they were discussing here in... Um, Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, and it's the same thing that Paul is dealing with here in Galatians chapter 5 and in earlier parts of Galatians. And he even talked about the council that he went to, as a matter of fact. Earlier in Galatians, he, he actually talks about the Jerusalem Council. But if we Flip back to Galatians 2, where we were, or a little, a little before where we were, and we look at what Paul was saying in context, then we see it's that we're saved through faith, not through works. 
Now, a lot of people would take that to mo- to believe, okay, well, we're saved by believing in some facts about Jesus, and obedience has nothing to do with whether we inherit eternal life or not. But that is completely false, and that is why people believe that Paul is saying something different than Jesus because Jesus said we must walk in obedient faith and cling to him in a relationship and ever I mean in order to inherit eternal life but here in Galatians Paul says in chapter 2 Uh, Starting in verse 15. We are Jews by nature and not Gentile sinners. But yet, we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ rather than by the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So what is he saying? He's saying, we walk in a covenant relationship with God through our faith with Jesus Christ by abiding in him. It's not because we are keeping the law of Moses that makes us... to be in a right standing with God, but because we are trusting Him and walking with Christ in faith. We are entrusting ourselves to Jesus Christ. So, Paul did not teach that it was through the works of the Old Testament law that one came into covenant relationship with Christ, but rather that it was through faith in Jesus Christ, a faith that required obedience and a relationship, not works of the law, but faith that works in love and obedience in Jesus Christ. If you flip back to Acts chapter 15, just for a minute, just for a minute, you can see that Peter actually says the very same thing. Peter says in Acts 15, um, in, I mean, in Galatians chapter 2, we see that even... Even though Peter uh, knew that when he was in Antioch, he was, even though he knew the truth, he was not acting according to the truth. Because when the Jews came down from James to Jerusalem, he separated himself from the Gentiles that he used to eat with. He wasn't denying the truth that we were saved by grace through faith, but 
he was he wasn't acting in accordance with it. So in Acts 15, he makes it clear that he understands the truth. He says in verse 8, and this is Peter speaking when he went Cornelius. Cornelius. <laughs> God who knows the heart gave them the Holy Spirit just as he gave to us and made no distinction between us and them and purified their hearts by faith. So, in other words, without being circumcised, without keeping the law of Moses, without uh, making sure they were eating unclean foods, and without going to temple and keeping the festivals, God made them clean. They were purified in their heart, and they had access to God and able to come to him. Verse 10 says, Now then, why should we test God by putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Because the people of Israel, they had the law, and it came with a curse. So they continued to disobey the law because they didn't have the Spirit of God. And they didn't have the, they, they weren't walking in the power of the Spirit of God because they only had the stone tablets and they were trying to keep this law, but they were also fighting with their flesh. And, you know, we've read the Old Testament enough to know just how royally they failed. But just like Paul says in Romans 9, don't boast because I assure you that if it was us in the place of the Jews trying to keep the law of Moses without the Holy Spirit we would have failed just as miserably see that's what people who don't understand the new covenant and the mystery of the body of Christ and believe that God is still holding Israel of the flesh to some <laughs> place of respect, even though the Bible is very clear that God has never been a respecter of persons. He respects the actions of people. Uh, Abraham was justified because of his faith, <laughs> not because of who he was. Jacob wasn't justified because of who he was either, because if it was according to who he was, then Esau would have been the one who was justified because he was born first. But it was because of faith that God chose to justify and choose the a people for himself out of the nations. And it's the same in the New Covenant. It is our faith and our humility. Humility goes a long, long, long way with God. 
if you for some reason do not have humility if you uh, are not humble and you <laughs> are allowing your pride to get in the way and you know direct how you act and what you say and do then believe you me God will humble you and you don't want to be humbled by God that's what Paul was saying when he said you know uh, do not you know, uh, brag against the the Jews of the flesh thinking that you are better than they are simply because they were cut off so that you could be grafted in because just as easily as they were cut off they can be grafted back in and you can be cut off the same as they were and I'm paraphrasing of course but that's what he was saying now um, back to what was going on in the Jerusalem Council um, it was Peter who literally called the law of the Old Testament a yoke he you know he said that it was causing their fathers as well as them to sin because they couldn't keep it and they kept falling and coming under the judgment of God through the years. So they said, why put this yoke upon the Gentiles that we were not able to fulfill? And verse 11 says, But we believe through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they will. So it's not through being circumcised or keeping the law of Moses that makes anybody saved or uh, in right relationship with God. And then on the last day we'll be raised from the dead. But it's through the trusting in Jesus Christ and walking and abiding in Him that justifies us and allows us to be risen up with Christ on the last day. Now, if we flip back to uh, chapter 5, um, in Galatians 5, it says, And he further taught, uh, it's talking about Paul here, and Paul further taught, This faith in Christ was an obedient faith that works through love. So, if we go back to Galatians chapter 5, we see after Paul talked about um, starting in, in verse 2, he says, See, I tell you, if you are circumcised, he who is circumcised is obligated to keep the whole law. And you who are cut off from Christ will uh, be judged by the law you have fallen from grace. And he goes on in verse 5. 
But we, through the Spirit, by faith, eagerly, eagerly, he says, hope for righteousness. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither Jew nor Gentile, means anything but faith that works through love. So, we're saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this faith? How does Paul describe this faith, though? He describes it as faith that works through love. It's active. That is word for word what Jesus taught. Faith that works through love. If you have your Bibles, you can see it for yourself. And if not, then you just heard it for yourself. Paul literally taught word for word what Jesus taught. The only difference was the audience, and therefore people were confused by other things that were said because of the audience. But he literally says that we are saved. We are saved by a faith that works through love. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting that he is Lord means that we submit to him and his commands. His commands are love. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. So we commit to him. Jesus Christ out of faith, a, a faith that is built upon love, and this is the faith that matters, not circumcision or uncircumcision, but trusting in Jesus Christ with a living faith. This is what matters, just as Jesus said. If we trust in him, if we abide in him and obey his commandments, then he will abide in us. It goes on, and those who did not submit to Christ would suffer God's wrath. Now, this is Paul's message in his letters. And those did not submit to Christ as king would suffer God's wrath for the rebellion on the day of judgment. But those who abide in Christ through a living and active faith would be raised from the dead on the last day. So, if we flip over one more time, still in chapter 5, we see in verse 13, you brothers have been called to the law of liberty, only do not use your liberty. I'm sorry, I lost my place. But do not use your liberty. But through the law of love, if you if you hold to to liberty, you are no longer under the the law of love. 
the, that yoke that Peter talked about, but now you need to, to serve one another, but not according to the flesh. It says the entire law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then it goes on in verse 19. It says, the works of the flesh are revealed, which are these. Adultery, sexual immorality, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, Jealousy, rage, selfishness, dissension, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness. I warn you, as I previously warned you, that those that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That those who live According to the flesh, that those who do not abide in the love of Jesus Christ, His Spirit abiding in them, they will perish. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, peace, patience, kindness, um, gentleness. Self-control. Against such, there is no law. And so by the Spirit of God, we walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We walk in an obedient, love, faith relationship. I'm sorry, I got too far from the mic. I pray to the Lord that you guys were able to hear me. I just heard myself get louder in my headphones. I pray that you guys were able to hear me because I, the last part was the important part. It showed without a doubt that Paul taught the very same gospel that Jesus did. But I am going to edit today's program and I'm going to put the the audio together the best that I absolutely can and I'm going to put it up on the podcast so you guys will be able to hear it again if you missed any of it and I recommend 100% that you listen to this Bible study with your Bibles and you will see without shadow of it out that the gospel that Jesus Christ taught was the same gospel that Paul taught and they both both taught that we must 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 abide in the vine that is Jesus Christ we must endure until the end we must walk in obedience, in love, in faith, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must. This is what Jesus said. 
And this is what Paul said right here in Galatians. So brothers and sisters, thank you all for spending two hours and 15 minutes with me <laughs> in an episode that was supposed to be an hour at the most. I apologize for any and all of the the uh, technical difficulties we had along with me jumping up on my soapbox and I promise to do better next time as far as not uh, drifting away from the subject at hand. But I hope that you guys were able to see that the gospel that Jesus taught and the gospel that Paul taught were identical. And that both, both the master and the apostle taught that if you do not abide in Jesus Christ and in his love, then he will not abide in you. And I love you guys. Jeremy, I love you too, brother. Thank you for sticking in. <laughs> I know that it couldn't have been easy. I hate that we weren't able to live stream on Facebook, but I will be able to uh, upload the video to Facebook. In any case, for the Kingdom Productions Network, the Remnant Report, by their fruits, and Kingdom Productions and Publishing, I am the Remnant Warrior saying until next time, God bless each and every one of you. Grace and peace.